Hi, everyone, and thank you for coming back. Today's episode is on M. Night Shyamalan's The Village, in keeping with spooky season. As always, you don't have to watch the movie in order to listen to the episode, but we always recommend it, as we will never steer away from spoilers. And obviously, if you've seen The Village, you know that there are some spoilers that you want to uh, watch the movie to avoid. (laughs) Um, Today, we are going to be talking about... Really like stuff we've talked about with M. Night Shyamalan before, a lot of his usage of color, some of his shot framing, um, and just how excellent this movie is, including the twist at the end. We'll get there. So let's just get rolling. I'm your host, Audrey. And I'm your co-host, Cherie. So sit back, relax, and please don't silence your phone while we check your cinematic pulse. But let me silence my phone. Oops. Girl, I am not even in Do Not Disturb. Do I even work here? I can't say anything. We're gonna we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna talk about the movie. We're gonna talk about it. We're gonna. That's literally our our job for that's the our next job. hour. Yep. Uh, hour okay. So summary less. of this movie: <laughs> hour, an hour or less, <laughs> an hour, give or take five minutes. <laughs> um. So summary of this movie: uh, this is about a um a small community um in the nineteenth century, maybe. Yes, I think that it would be the 19th. I didn't actually write one for this, so now I'm like having to think of it on the fly. I think I, I read that it was today. supposed to be in the 19th century. It is. I believe it is supposed to be 19th century, like very Anne of Green Gables-esque yes. is what I'm getting from this. Um, so yeah, this is a community in um, 19th century, like late late 19th century, I believe, um, and in Pennsylvania. Um, and they live uh, in a sequestered community um where they have hold themselves away from the surrounding towns because the elders or the founders of the town um felt or of the village technically um had tragedy strike their lives and felt that their families were better raised away from all of the crime and murder and tragedy that occurred in the towns that they were from And so they started their community and sequestered themselves away from the world. Um, And they are kept in their community because the in the woods that surround their community are uh, unforeseen, uh, not unforeseen, but unseen monsters that they are that are termed those we do not speak of. Um, A.K.A. Voldemort. I'm just kidding. Right. (laughs) A.K.A. Growly Voldemort. Um, So... Things are going okay until um, a crime, a devastating crime, occurs in the village. And um, the movie's, I feel like, main character, Ivy Walker, is forced to go outside of the village, the village's safe boundaries into the woods controlled by those we do not speak of to try to get medicine for the person that she loves. Yes. Good summary. Yeah. <laughs> long summary me trying to think off the top i don't have an internal monologue okay <laughs> i know you don't that's why it's impressive i was speed translating the movie as it was replaying in my head <laughs> okay so first impressions of this movie when did you first watch this movie so my fr- i'm gonna say this my first impression has changed since 
or my second impression has changed since my first impression. First impression, okay, I, yes. I loved this I film. feel like we got into this a little bit when we talked about Signs because we were talking I about Mike Shyamalan, and I love the village so much. I do like the village still, but I don't think I like it as much as the first time I watched it when I was a kid. Um, mostly, really? That's yes, interesting. I'll get into that. But my first impression okay. as a kid is I loved it. Like, I loved the twist. I think I was too young to really understand filmmaking as it is back then, uh, obviously. But oh, obviously. Um, I think there are parts of this film that are really good. And I think there are parts of this film that are really slow. Um, really slow. And written poorly. <laughs> <gasps> no, don't you dare. You shut your um, drunk maybe mouth. You not need so, to watch The know, Happening let me, let me if you want to see written poorly. <laughs> maybe not written poorly, but there's uh, some directional choices paced. I would have not done. Okay. All right. Um, that's fair. Everybody's different. Everybody has their own style. But I, the, if, on the whole, I still do like this film. But I, I absolutely loved this film as a kid. But again, because I had a humongous crush on Walking Phoenix. I but, mean, absolutely. Um, He's adorable. But uh, I also remember just loving Bryce Dallas Howard in this film. Her acting is superb. She's easily uh, easily yes. the best uh, character in this film. Um, oh, this is her breakout role. I believe so. Yes. Um, yeah. Like, this was... I remember coming back and watching this as an adult and being like, is that young Bryce Dallas Howard? I was watching it with my mom and she's like, yep, this is her first role. Of, like, mind blown. Did not so remember fantastic. her being in this. So fantastic. She's so good. So um, good. But I, like, I could appreciate her performance more as an adult. And on the whole, I feel like she's the most compelling thing about this movie. Um... What's his face? Who I can oh my who plays Noah? I can who? see his uh Adrian Brody. Thank you. Uh white Snoop Dogg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> he also Who's like actually kind of beautiful in real life though. He's not unattractive, but like I remember seeing a meme that was that put Snoop Dogg and him together and they're like, it's white Snoop Dogg. <laughs> uh you can't unsee it. <laughs> They're exactly the same. I, he's also, I think he does a really good job um, in this film as well. Like, I, not, I just. He yeah, did really well. He did. He had a tough character to act and he did they both really, did. really well. They both did. He had some, he had some facial tics and some mm-hmm. hand gesture tics that I really felt like sold the character for me that, that made it believable and unique. And I can't remember if this was pre or post when he won an Academy Award for The Pianist. I want to say pre, but don't quote me this on that. Would, I think this would be pre, because I think Village was 2004? I think so. Or Signs. One of them. Yeah, to, The Village is 2004. When did Pianist come out? So yeah, The Pianist, be, I think, came later than that. Oh no, The Pianist was uh, 2002. <sighs> yeah, okay. So yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. But yeah, um, I thought they both did well. I honestly think their characters were... The most interesting out of all the characters. And that's mm-hmm. that's me saying that and Joaquin exists in the film. And Joaquin exists in the film. Which, he does a really good job, too. He's, yes, like, he does. He's a very subdued character. and he, He's a very different character than mm-hmm. what we've seen from him up to this point. But he played it so well. He did. It was he, so believable. He did, he did, he did, he did. Um, but yeah, first impression, loved the film. Second time, and, you know, this is my first time watching it in like 20 years. Almost Dang, 20 years. Really? And, yeah, and I my views have changed slightly. Um, I still like the film, but I can't say I love it as much as I did back then. Interesting. Uh, we can, can talk more about that later. But that is um, uh, like we'll have to okay. jump into that. 
I'm not going to let you forget because I, I want to know. I want to know why your impression changed so much. Because um, I feel like I have the opposite. So, so when I was a kid, I watched this. I watched this in the worst possible setting. At night um, in the dark by yourself. Yes! Wait, wait, wait. As a 10-year-old. <laughs> I at least watched it with my family. No, I didn't know what I was watching. I had heard, I think, like, kids at school making jokes about the village because they had seen it. And, like, I didn't like not knowing what they were talking about. And I asked my mom if I could watch the village. And she took a look at me. And I don't know what possessed my mother to (laughs) say yes. She just looked at me. But she did. And she, she was like, yeah, I have a copy of it. My mom bought the village. I don't know who this woman is. But she bought the village. She's like, I have a copy of it downstairs. You can watch it on the mini DVD player. So I take the mini DVD player into my room and I watched it alone at night by myself on the mini DVD player. And let me tell you, it was terrifying. After that, everything in the shadows was those we do not speak Uh of. Oh my gosh. So it absolutely like traumatized me as a little kid. I wasn't old enough to understand the plot uh-huh. really either. Um, and so when she comes out of the woods and it turns out she's in civilization, spoiler alert, um, <laughs> uh, I did not like that twist. I didn't like that twist and I didn't like that the monsters weren't real. I didn't like any of it as a 10 year old. As okay. an adult. So. As an adult, I have a very different response to this movie. First of all, watching this movie as an adult, I watched it, I want to say, when did I watch it? It was uh, within the past year. Yeah, it was. I think my mom and I went on an M. Night Shyamalan marathon. It was after I think you watched Signs. Signs. Yeah. Yeah, it was after we watched Signs. I watched Signs and then I watched... what is the the next one with The Sixth Sense? And then I watched this one, and then I watched The Happening, all back-to-back, because I wanted to do an M. Night Shyamalan thing. Um, so watching it as an adult, I love this movie so much more because it is like, it's a love story. Yeah, it is. The whole movie is like really just a love story. Uh-huh. And... And it like realizing that it's told in that framework and getting so invested because I forgot not know like watching it as a ten year old and then watching it now as a thirty year old I forgot that spoiler alert again Joaquin Phoenix gets stabbed I like forgot that whole plot twist. I forgot until um the pro- the proposal if you will and I was like oh shoot I remember what happens now no nope, I, I couldn't remember if it was Joaquin Phoenix's character or if it was uh, Adrian Brody's character I was like I know someone gets hurt yeah and I completely forgot I remember watching with my mom and like going <gasps> just like like soul left my body for a moment I was like no not Joaquin we love him so. Okay, so as an adult, I first of all, I love it because you know me. I'm an absolute sucker for a well-told love story. You sure are. And their love story is so good. It is cute. They're, it's so good. Um, yeah, Ivy and Lucius are adorable. They're in-game. Um, so, <laughs> so um, 
as far as the twist goes, um, especially now watching it again, because I watched it again today, even though I watched it a few months ago, um, especially watching it again, knowing what the twist was, knowing what to look out for, I liked, I, I, I stand by, I love the writing so much more. I loved it when I watched it a few months ago, and right now I just feel like it was solidified for me. Um, I feel like, I feel like as far as the monsters not being real when you're looking for it it almost like it it makes even more sense you you watch and you're like how did i miss it there were signs throughout the whole movie mm-hmm. and then huh, pun intended um <laughs> so and then it, with with her going out into the real world too that that made sense to me too and i i suddenly understood why like i feel like it had to be that way and I feel like we talked about this in Signs a little bit, or at least when you and I were talking about Signs a few months, uh, yeah, a few months ago. Um, we talked about the village and about the twist, and and I feel like if like the monsters had been real and like they weren't actually in the real world, like the movie would have felt cheaper, mm-hmm. because it's not about the monsters; it's it's about the people. Right. It's a story about people. And, and, like, you get hung up on it because it's definitely told creepy-y with lots of, like, jump cuts and, and weird scenes and stuff um, and weird depictions. Um, but, yeah, it would have felt cheap to me now as an adult looking at that if, if it was all real. Like, I, I wouldn't have felt as moved by it as I did with at, Well, at I think end. there's a double layer to that about um, love, right? So... That's actually mm-hmm. a question I have for you later. Oh, but, I have um, questions for you too. I remember to write some this week. So, because you said it's about people and their love for people. You mm-hmm. know, they created these monsters because they want to protect something. You know, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's they love need to keep all their around. People in. Yeah, it's love all around, even if, because my question for you was um, do you think the elders are wrong for their choices or do you think they are justified? Or both. Can you see justifications for both? Are they wrong and right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. I feel like... I feel like as with any Utopia story, because, like, reading through this, it very much gave me, like, Giver vibes. Mm-hmm. Um, which, I don't know if you've read The Giver recently or if anybody who's listening has read The Giver at all recently, but definitely read reread it um there was a movie that came out a few years ago um with oprah it had was it oprah? with o- oprah i don't think oprah was in, it was i think it was jeff bridges though i think jeff bridges Am was I wrong in it. don't listen to me oh maybe it was the giving tree never mind <laughs> that wasn't me no no the giver the giver was the black and white one my bad he was in black and white you're right and taylor swift was in it um very briefly uh, but anyway, it gave me like kind of giver vibes where like you could you could see where the intention was pure, but you could see where that pure intention led to misguided actions. Mm-hmm. Um, because then you have things like and then the movie starts with a consequence of their choice and it's someone's child died. An absolute child died of, of a perfectly curable illness because yes, of where ma'am. they have decided to live. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. 
So I, I think it's one of those like, okay, I understand your intentions, but when you when you stick to your principles blindly, that's the result. You have to be introspective and you have to be self-aware and aware of the effect that your actions have on other people and mm-hmm. weigh them against right and wrong constantly. Like I I when I every time I thought about the plot and especially after, you know, Lucius gets stabbed, it's like, okay, they were trying to prevent stuff like this, but it happened. Things happen. Like, you can't mm-hmm. prevent... Like, yeah. you're growing a community. Things happen in yeah. the community, good or bad. There's no, Whether there's money involved or not, it doesn't matter. Crime happens. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah. That's what it's and like. And that's I, what Edward I, Walker I, keeps saying. I respect... Is this was a crime. Right. And I respect what they were trying to do to an extent. Respect isn't the word I'm looking for. I guess I under... I get what they're doing and why I mean, they're doing empathize. it. You empathize with what they were yeah, trying to do? I, I see what they're trying to do. Their intentions are mm-hmm. good, but they're flawed. There's just no way you create a perfect utopian society. It doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, what's his name? Mad Eye Moody's character. Gleason? <laughs> I oh, his character. Yeah, his character. Um, August Nicholson. Yeah. Uh, I had August no idea what his name something. is, so applause to you. Yeah. Um, he says something really telling when um when Lucius comes in to bring him firewood after the death of his son. Mm-hmm. Um and he he brings in firewood and he says, um, oh, hold on, I I wrote it down because it was so good. Um he says, You can run from sorrow as we have, but it can smell you. Sorrow will find you just the same. Mm-hmm. And and I, th- I think that that's ultimately the point of, of this movie. Um, I don't know. It's, it's the point of this movie, but it's also, um, it's also not the point of this movie because there's, we'll talk about that later. Um, but it, it is a, a theme of this movie is that regardless of where you are, you can't stop the bad from happening. Right. And that's what it gave me giver vibes is mm-hmm. um, in, in the giver um, people in, in, this community, this utopian community was created um, trying to weed out all of the negative things that people do. And they have to take like vitamins every day in order, uh, like is uh, that's just part of their society. They have to take vitamins every day and they're given to them by the community. But what those vitamins are is um, like repressants. They're things that repress all of the bad things in their brain. Um, and over time they extended so far where they were trying to get rid of um things that like the the impulses that caused this bad thing and the impulses that caused this bad this thing this is the plot of and... so many classic novels yeah it really is it really is like my brain is going hey this is divergent also um it's, it's I was any thinking story of all where kinds you of... try to create a utopia yeah i was thinking 1984 and uh, yeah, was a well, brand yeah. new world Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fahrenheit 451, yeah. all of those. All the classic um, novels. Yeah. All all of the classic dystopian novels. Um there oh, there's another one that Wes had me watch. I'll have to look up the name of it, but it's it's also very similar. I mean, it has Christian Bale and Sean Bean in it, but it's like a like a B-rated movie. The the rest of the plot was terrible, but the cast was A-list. Um King of Rome, Christian Bale. Yeah, or Sean Bean, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in The Giver, um, eventually, like, these vitamins that they give them or these, like, suppressants that they give them even suppress their uh, ability to see and process color. Ah. 
And so, which is really hard to understand and see when you're reading the book, but the movie was able to do that justice. The whole, like, first 75% of the movie takes place in black and white until Jonas, um, who is selected to be the next giver, the person who, like, all memory is is passed down to, um, that's that's their way of trying to keep... Well, we Man, this is also actually. the plot of Attack on Titan. <laughs> yes everything is like based on something else yeah but it's it's the same thing where like you you try to suppress so much bad you wind up suppressing the good i'm sorry it's it's blowing my mind this is the plot of everything Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's all it's all connected like i feel like charlie from it's always sunny (laughs) in grief but like in like a literary sense Mm -hmm. yeah so um we're we're on casting um (laughs) Were we? <laughs> well, well, I'm still kind of just talking about first impressions in general. Uh, but let's talk about casting. Okay. Um, I geeked out because I want everyone to see this teeny tiny cameo. There's a freaking young Jesse Eisenberg in this movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> when the camera pans in on them having their little like community feast outside, he's sitting at the very end of the table. Yep, he makes he, he makes has a show like a very a couple times. Yeah, he has a very small role in this movie. He's just one of the the young boy townsfolk. He's he's the one who stands on the stump with his back to the forest, mm-hmm. um, trying to out outlast the creatures and be brave. Um, would you do it, Audrey? Would you stand on the stump? Oh heck yeah, heck yeah! I would stand heck on the stump. Heck no, <laughs> absolutely not. I have I have a really really old picture from like right after I graduated high school. Um, when I was like literally a twig, huh, pun intended, I, I'm, I'm standing on a stump out in the woods, low key reenacting that moment. Cause I like this movie. No, um, no, no, no. not, not, a I 100% do it. I'm not a, terrified nah. of spiders, but not those we do not speak of. Audrey, I'd get killed first. You already know this. <laughs> I can't be sitting on no stumps. Like pass. I'll, I'll die. I'll fight your friends for you, but not beasties. Mm-mm. No, that's uh, for you to do. I got you. I'll fight the beasties. Like the dream team. Um, I love... Okay. Um, this movie has, like, an unexpected cast. Um, like, obviously, um, Brendan Gleeson was not Mad-Eye Moody yet, but we have Mad-Eye Moody in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sigourney Weaver, of all people, which <laughs> I... Sigourney Weaver. Do your Sigourney Weaver voice. <clears throat> Hello. I'm Sigourney Weaver. I love you. <laughs> it's from Finding Dory. It's from it's from Finding Dory. If anyone no one understands how that. often I hear that from you, though, it is at least <laughs> once every phone call. When we're, when we're playing Minecraft, especially. It's me answering the phone, going, "Hello, I'm Sigourney Weaver." Every time. <laughs> that and when we go when we go adventuring and we go off into the ocean, I always go soap and lotion. <laughs> Molly, <laughs> I'm sorry, Molly. Oh, okay. Um, so yeah, Sigourney Weaver, Joaquin Phoenix, who we talked about, who we both absolutely adore. He has great eyes and he has a, he has a moody brow. I know. He's good. good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like I've definitely got a type because that's literally what my husband looks like. He has light eyes and a moody brow. <laughs> <sighs> and then Bryce Dallas Howard and her freaking breakout role. Fantastic. So good. She did such a good job i like i wonder i want to pick m night Shyamalan's brain and be like why did you cast her why 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 what was what was the driving force i have to go find a dvd copy and like watch the behind the scenes and see if he talks about it um and then also her i mean i can't i blank on her name every single time hold on 
I know you're uh, talking about because she's just in every movie, just little little roles in every Judy Greer. little sister, right, Kitty? Yeah, Kitty. Yeah, the older sister, um, Judy Greer. She's the the wife and Ant Man. She for the longest time was in all of those like Sprint Friends and Family commercials, where like the husband uh-huh. is a hamster. <laughs> she's just in everything. She's in everything. She's she's in, in the most everything. recent Halloween uh, movies. Is she really? Yeah. yeah, she's in everything. And then, of course, Adrian Brody, white Snoop Dogg. White Snoop Dogg. <laughs> if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, go look up the meme and you you won't be able to unsee it. We have to tag the meme when we post for this episode this <laughs> week. Did you like my hereditary meme last week? I did. <laughs> I guess that was two weeks ago now. Um, I was so happy that I found that because I was like, oh, we, I found it after we had already recorded and I was like, it's perfect. And I, I saved it. it. Um, so, yeah, I feel like like very robust, but also very unexpected cast. And uh, and William Hurt did a great job as Edward Walker, mm-hmm. which he I any stuff that he's been in has been like really before my generation and before my foray into film. So I can't really appreciate him fully, but I know he's a bigger name actor. Um, oh, and then Cherry Jones, who it is criminal how much, how little she is in stuff, because I absolutely love Cherry Jones, because she, uh, for those of you wondering who the heck I'm talking about, she played the police officer in Signs. She did. Yeah. I love her. She, like, Judy also, Greer just pops up in everything. Right. Um, there was somebody else I wanted to bring up. So the guy, his name is uh, Fran Krantz. He played Kristoff Crane, the guy that Kitty winds up marrying, like, mm-hmm. the one that they make fun of for, like, not wanting to wrinkle his shirt. hmm And he reminds me so much of, like, oh, you've not seen it, but the guy who plays John Ralphio in Parks and Rec and Joe Keery. Please don't tell people I haven't like, seen Parks and Rec. I don't need more people telling me how She hasn't seen Parks and Rec. Stop Please it. harass her. <laughs> she hasn't watched Hocus Pocus, huh? Just throw Man. each other under the bus. I haven't. I haven't seen Hocus Pocus. Have you seen a Christmas story? Yeah, of course he's seen a Christmas story. Of course he's seen a Christmas story. That matters. If you're a Hoosier and you haven't watched that, wink, wink, someone who's going to listen to this episode knows exactly who she is, knows exactly who she is, and she'll listen to this and be like, you're talking about me, aren't you? And I'll be like, yes, yes, I am. You (laughs) need to watch a Christmas story because it's going to be on the podcast. I'm going to force it. That's what we got to do. Uh-huh. So we make our friends watch movies. Um, can we talk about color? Yeah, we can talk about color. Let's talk about color. Um, because this movie, much like Signs, much like The Sixth Sense, um, heavily plays on color in so much like it's actually written into the plot of this movie. What I love um, about color is how, how la- like lack thereof there are of other colors other than the two main mm-hmm. ones. Mm-hmm. So and it's and it's interesting because I think part of that is the time period in which this takes place. So if this is late, um, like late nineteenth century, um, their their garments are all going to be handmade mm-hmm. for the most part. Actually, aren't they making um, garments at the beginning of the film? Probably. I think that's what they're doing when they're um, sitting in their little town hall meeting. Yeah, probably. That would not surprise me. But think about this, um, too. You even have... There are no leaves on any trees. They're all dead. It's all colorless. Everything is colorless. Yeah, it is. Because it kind of takes place in the fall in Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Which is where, like, all of M. Night Shyamalan's movies take place. Because that's where he's from, is Pennsylvania. Um, 
But yeah, oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, that really adds to like just the detraction of color in Mm -hmm. this. Um, But yeah, talking about making their clothing, like all of their clothing is going to have to be hand dyed. That's why when you notice people's um, like dresses, they're only like light pink and like light yellow, um, except for the absolute gold of the capes that they use when they're going around the the, the boundary line. Um. So we've kind of talked about color theory before, and M. Night Shyamalan loves to use red um, in his films. And red can symbolize a lot of different things in film, but usually it symbolizes negative things for the most part. Like nine times out of ten, it's negative things. It's it's anger, it's hatred, it's violence, it's death. I'd argue um, it's a 50-50. It, I'd say it's either really? love slash life or, yeah, death and scary things. <laughs> I I would argue that it's generally a little bit more um yeah I swung, would yeah. Like the pendulum is a little bit more swung in the negative direction yeah I'd say so but not every time I wouldn't say it's ninety percent but I would I I could argue and agree that it goes a little more towards the negative end yeah so but in this movie it definitely is mm-hmm. I mean so much oh, so sure. that like literally the the creatures in the woods wear giant cloaks of red because like that's the color that attracts them and that and they mark their doorways with it and because you know I what's know. red blood blood like the dead of all the elders <laughs> no it's terrible blood the death of all wow i mean it is like they, that's hey, why Shereen, they hate the color you red pain that's, it's gotta be why they hate the color red because it's like every all their loved ones died blood that's was what i'm spilled. thinking that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I don't know where they came up with this idea of like using color to deter everyone from everything. But but yeah, like they all lost people at other people's hands. Like they all had somebody murdered and mm-hmm. that's what made them want to join this community. And so, yeah, like red is going to be an incredibly negative color for them. Because um, I mean, like, I, I guess if I was in their shoes and I'm thinking like, okay, I want to use color as a deterrent. Like my first instinct would probably be black. Um, but I feel like there's so many things that you make, like, where you, that you need as part of a society, like, like, ink and other stuff like that, mm-hmm. that, um, you ha- like, you can't escape having black as part of your society, so the next best option would be, like, the negative red, and right. it's, like, a cherry red. It's bright. Like, they turn up the contrast on that it's red. Bright. <laughs> it's bright. You know, you know what also and is then, bright? That yellow. That yellow! It is, like... Honestly, like I would describe that yellow as like a gold. Mm-hmm. Like that it is, is gold. golden raw like yellow. The which sun. is interesting. Like the sun. Um yeah, I think because that's exactly why they chose theory, the color yellow. Well, if you look up color theory for the color yellow, it always symbolizes things like happiness, life, fertility. Like yellow is almost always a positive mm-hmm. color. How fun um, would it be if some filmmaker out there has or will do like yellow in a negative light? I gotta, I gotta look some stuff up. <laughs> right, like the only other way that I could feel yellow being bad would be, um, would be like jaundiced. You know, like people like looking sickly and being and like looking yellow. That's the other way that I could think of yellow being used. Yeah, I agree. But, um, yeah, so these are, like, directly tied to, like, for the most part, their color theory. Like, red is the bad, negative, blood color, red, red for dead, like, red equals death. Mm -hmm. And then yellow is happiness and safety and uh, all that good stuff. Um, 
That being said, what color is Ivy's hair? Red. Isn't it funny? Yeah! Isn't Which it that funny? Which has to be intentional. Like, that's gotta be intentional. And I, I love that decision because she's the one to go into the forest. Like, it, like, it just shows you, I mean, it like, obviously me it's not the, the like, cherry red of it. <laughs> as soon as you see her hair, you're like, oh, it's the color that's forbidden. You think. Right, that's the bad color. The col- like, it, it makes you think early on, like, okay, if the color's forbidden, why are people allowed to have red hair? Wouldn't you dye it? Right. Right. But, like, obviously it's, like, that blood red color that mm-hmm. they, like, spray paint on the door. I'm sorry. Red is red. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> red is red. Oh. Ma'am, I think you're being a little bit prejudiced towards the color red. No, my nephew has the most luscious, beautiful red hair. and mm, Like, he's got, like, <laughs> pretty dark red hair. It's like, mm, mm, continue. I'm just very jealous. Conti- he has a continue. beautiful head of hair, and I do not. I would give anything. Um, okay, so speaking of, like, spray paint on the door frames, um, something I wanted to ask. Did you feel like watching watching this were you looking for any cues that this might not take place in the time period that you think it does take place in? Um, as a kid, no. But as an adult, yeah. They give you hints left and right. They like, do. The way they what were some of the ones that you things. noticed? Um, first of all, every adult talking about someone dying. I was like, okay, they died in the towns. Like, okay, what kind of towns? You're saying towns. You're not saying other villages. The towns. Or, uh, you know, like other, other, like you're, it's like, they keep saying towns and it's like, okay, where are the towns? Okay. And mm-hmm. it makes you wonder, it's like, you're surrounded. Some by, of the cadences were off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're surrounded by all of these monsters in the woods. But if there's monsters in the woods and there's other towns, aren't they also going to be disturbed by these monsters in the woods? Right. Like, are these people not plagued by the monsters? Like, are you, how did you get past the monsters in the woods to settle with right. the town? It's, in the, it's and fishy. they said they struck a bargain with them. Like, how do you strike like, a bargain with a non English speaking monster? That's what I, ooh, we'll get to the monsters. I made notes on this. It's actually very interesting. Um, cause I mean, leave it to me to do some monster research. Um, but so there's always me, something. There's always, there's always a hint. There's hints like every other scene about like, hmm this isn't what it seems like right um like yeah you just had like a few things that were like question mark that's not from the right time period for me it was like for the first thing I noticed was the houses consent because like as somebody who like grew up on Anne of Green Gables I'm looking at these houses and I'm going these look like modern constructions like they do not look like like hammer and nail kind of structures um, they look like things that would have used like maybe some more heavy equipment to erect. Um, so like the houses looked too neat for me. They didn't look as old fashioned as they should, given what time period they were. They supposed were to be very from. minimalist, though. The houses didn't have. They were very lots minimalist, but I mean, but I mean the construction themselves. Yeah, like some of the houses that were laid together with stone, like the stone was like completely flush with the house mm-hmm. uh, in a modern construction way. Where if you had a stone house back then, the stones would have been stacked on top of each other and filled with mortar, right? Not laid like facing you. So just some of it was off. Um, and then like the boxes, the boxes. The boxes, the boxes that all of the elders have with their, like, with their memories and their tragedies locked away, those are modern creations. 
Those are, are, yes. are modern machine steel boxes and what's that great, would not like, have had that back then. I think you said it already, but the way they spoke, it's like, okay, you're talking about making haste and all this other stuff. And it's like, okay, but it Make sounds haste. very performed. Not right. By- it sounds like what you would think people back then talked like, and not like what people actually talked like. And the thing know? is, it's like, it doesn't feel as forced as... For the younger generation, but the older generation, it just doesn't feel like, I don't buy it when they speak that way. I can buy it when the Mm -mm. younger people do, but not the elders. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. And, like, as somebody who grew up on a lot of, like, turn-of-the-century stuff, because my mom loved watching that. Like, I I grew up on so much Jane Austen stuff. Same. Like, they don't even talk like that either. Mm -mm. You know what I mean? They don't even, like, it's, their words aren't flowery enough to be from the correct time period. Um, or they're, like, too flowery, but in the wrong way. Like, it, I, like I said, they talk like what they imagine people back then would talk right. like, not what they and actually And that's actually spoke. one of my peeves with the film. Was just like... But it's, but it's a tell, you know? I know it's, it's a tell. tell that it doesn't take place in the right and period And I feel like... The twist could have been a little more... The twist could have been more believable or more jarring had it been more believable. But I understand that's a tell. So you, it's give and take. It's give and take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's there It's there on purpose to make people who are watching closely um, not as surprised by the twist or make the twist more believable at the end. Um. So... Okay, so I had some questions. Um... This one's pretty easy, but do you think Lucia survived? Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, she has a cute little smile at the end. For sure. He absolutely Because you have to have, you have to have, like, the next generation of of elders to grow up and continue their community. If they don't let him live, there's no payoff to her work. None. Unless you argue argue the other end where it's like, okay, we're just continuing the cycle of you know, pain is inevitable. Losing someone is mm-hmm. inevitable, even if, like, yeah, but the they, they are trying to avoid violent death. Right. But right, no, that's what, I, uh, I 100% believe he, I 100% believed he lived and they got married and maybe they stayed in, maybe they didn't, who knows? Who knows? So I have a, I have a theory about this because um I think that they probably did stay in the village, yeah. in that community. I feel like they um, would have. I feel like they would have. Because, but I feel um, I, I like note. I feel like after she left and came back, questions would have started. Well, they know that there are communities surrounding them. They right. know that there are quote unquote towns surrounding them, and as long as she continues to perpetuate that idea, those people right. have no and reason they, to think otherwise. They had that wonderful. <laughs> they had the you know the catch all at the end where Noah dies, and they're like, "It's the it's the monsters in the village." That's what we're gonna lie to them about. It's the monsters in the village. Mm-hmm. So they could, like, they were obviously going to question her, but they had the, the wonderful ending of him just dying and they have that They had that cover up ready to go. So, yeah. Which, so I was thinking about that and I was thinking about the ending scene with M. Night Shyamalan's cameo, which for those of you who are watching, M. Night Shyamalan always has a cameo in his movies, whether it's just audio or actual acting and in this one he plays the guard in the guard shack yep um when i can't remember that kid's the security kid's name but kevin that's right kevin lipinski um you have kind when of he goes i know so cute he was <laughs> um, a sweetie. when 
when he goes back to the guard shack, um, if you listen to the radio, there is just like news stories of absolute tragedy is going on on and the, the radio. And the newspaper that uh, and in the Shyamalan's newspaper, reading. it was mm-hmm, it was all about like disappearances and stabbings, really and laying it on the thick. Middle East. Yes, yes, laying it on thick. But I so I wondered because I was like, I don't know, M Night Shyamalan doesn't usually lay it on that thick. There's got to be a reason and. And I was thinking, like, I feel like I wanted to imagine, like, what if there had been stories of hope in the newspaper? And I feel like counterintuitively, if there had been stories of hope in the newspaper, it would have made the community feel pointless. Yeah. Yeah, you and had to, here's the thing, he could have laid it on, but he'd have to put three different tra- tragic stories in that newspaper <laughs> clipping. Well, you're That's not, you gotta be watching that closely, like, you have to be watching real close, you gotta think, this is 2002, you gotta be looking oh, real absolutely. closely, you probably absolutely. can't see a whole lot on your teeny tiny TV screen that you're watching on, um, cause I feel like, I feel like the the stabbing of Lucius and Noah's death and everything up to that point would have been pointless because like things are still capable of being good on the outside in the outside like world. Like Kevin. But by like Kevin, right? But, He's but the by hope. showing by showing sorrow and death and tragedy in the outside world, it sealed the notion that there was at least some point and purpose to creating and keeping their community. Well I think about this too. So many of, like, not all the deaths, but um, the lead guy, uh, Ivy's dad, something Walker, whatever his name is. Edward Walker? Edward Walker. Mm-hmm. Hold on. Let me collect this thought and before I say it out loud. So. <laughs> My whole life, man. We get to the end of the film and we realize he bought that plan, that whole wildlife preservation. Mm-hmm. He bought that land, paid yep. the government to not fly over it. Mm-hmm. And you have a little bit of credence of, you know, the greed and people. When you hear Ammonite Shamlet's character talking, he's like, listen, dude, mm-mm. all you got to do is drive around this reservation and make sure no right, one goes into it. Right, it's a cushy gig. That's make it. Make it easy. Don't I'm get doing into conversations. this for the money. You should be doing right. this for the money. But the, Kevin doesn't know, but Ammonite Shyamalan does. And he's obviously mm-hmm. doing it for the money. It's an easy gig. But it's like... It, it gives There's credence that innocence again. and youth that Sweet Kevin has. Yeah, and it gives credence again to, ki- kind of gives credence to Edward Walker's character of like, you know, people are greedy. People want what they want. Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah. I'm going to pay Which, this dude to do say, what I want. Didn't he say that his his dad was killed by his business partner? Yeah, billionaire. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and then his business partner felt so bad that he also then killed himself. I don't remember that part, but it makes sense. Yeah, he said he hung himself in Edward Walker's grandfather's closet. Wow. Like, it was like murder-suicide. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Hey, don't kill people, guys. Right, PSA. hey, don't kill people, right? Right, like, that's that's the one rule. Just don't kill people. Jeez. Come on. It's not that hard. Don't cheat, don't lie, don't kill. Don't be a bad person. Just stop that. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, okay, hold there. There were some other... Ooh, sound... There were some other Oh, questions. no. I have a question for you. Innocuous. You have a question for me. To, okay. I have a Go question. Ahead. Innocuous. Okay. I just like, I like asking innocuous questions about the movies. I so, do It's great. If you were Kevin and ha- had come across Ivy, what would you have done? Me personally? You personally. So I am 
am an outside-the-box thinker, and I I love myself for this, and I'm also a problem solver and a tender-hearted person. Mm-hmm. It exasperates my husband to no end, but I'm a person that when I see something is wrong or something odd or someone has presented me with a problem, I make it my problem. As as I was telling you earlier, I was outside trying to get a picture of the eclipse and I heard a woman calling for her cat and was like, I could just go back inside, but I'm not going to because I think I found this woman's cat. Mm-hmm. And it's, you did. It's the exact same instinct. Yeah. And so I work in a field where very often somebody will call me on the phone and they'll have this big problem. They've already talked to several people. And and I'm the person who, even though it's super duper not my job, I will fo- I will try to solve their problem for them. I am in and the I've business. I've done it on multiple occasions. I am just like you where I am in the business of problem solving. I can't say I'm always right? as tenderhearted as you are because I'm very practical. It's um, a fault. Trust me. <laughs> life has made me into a practical person. And mm-hmm. for better or for worse. Bit. For better or for worse. But I am. I I want a problem solved ASAP. I do not like waiting for things to be solved by other people. Hate it. Mm-hmm. It's a pet peeve. Yes. So, like, if you want a job done right, you have to do it yourself. Kind every of thing. time, it's like I, I, there are people I definitely rely on. Like in my job, I can rely on anybody to get something done, and I love working with people like That's that. Great. And but I also, I also have worked in the mental health field. So I, when I got to this scene, I was like, what would I do? Because I would want to mm-hmm. help her, but I'd also be like, is she okay? Like I want to get her help. Is she okay? I mean, you also have that little tick in your brain, like that. Like that something's piece not of right here, you bit. know. Something like I feel like everyone has that instinct of being like, something is not right. Something is different. Not necessarily sure. a threat, but something is different. Like she's not necessarily right. a threat. But then you have that little part of your brain too that like doesn't want to the part of your brain that has slid into um, like autopilot. Mm-hmm. And just does the same thing every day. And so this is this is the part, the part of people's brains that like doesn't call nine one one when they see something bad happening. It's the it's not my problem. Oh, part not of me. Your brain. When I learned that in psychology, the bystander effect, I was like, Mm-mm, I will immediately bystander call effect. Uh huh. Yeah, I call it the I'm not wait- syndrome. I am not yeah. waiting for other people to solve the problem. I'm jumping in. No. Because if you wait for other people to solve the problem, that's what everyone else is they doing. Everyone else, else is going, mm-hmm. oh, I'm, I'm sure someone else will call. Yeah. It's the, if you've seen the Boondock Saints and you know that's one of my favorite movies and we're definitely doing that one year come St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> okay. Um they talk about they they mentioned the Kitty Genovese murder, yep. Yep. and that's a real murder that yeah. happened, and it was every it was psychology the invention book of nine one one to discuss the mm-hmm. bystander effect. Yes. Yeah. It was before the invention of 911. It was back when you had to physically call a number to call the local mm-hmm. police. But but people heard her being murdered and no one called 911. Dozens to where of she people. was lying, lying, bleeding, and then the guy came back to finish her off because no one called 911. Well, no one called the police. Yeah. So I like I I forever am the person who will do something. I will call nine one one if there's a situation. It, even if there's debris on the highway, I will call Highway Patrol and let them know I am a I problem love solver you. person. Heck yes, call for those <laughs> busted tires we see on the road. Bruh, my sister flattened all four tires because someone lost a ladder on the off the back of their van and just and it was just on the highway and she ran over it and wow. flattened all four tires. Yeah. 
That would be heartbreaking. Yep, which four new tires, um, man. That's fun a fact, lot of money. Right. Well, thankfully, insurance kicked in for that because it wasn't her fault. But That's good. Um, but yeah, fun fact: uh, ladders are the most commonly picked up item of debris on four sixty five. Really? Yeah. <laughs> My dad told me about that. How interesting. Okay, so back to the movie. Sorry. Um. <laughs> No, 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 it's fine. We got we got derailed talking about how wonderful people we are, apparently. <laughs> um, so I say that with a huge grain of salt and enormous air quotes. <laughs> um mostly good so, people. Eh, can't say we're all mostly good people. I sincerely attempt to be a yeah. a, a small good person. Um we all Okay, do. so I I have a question for you and I wanna know if you caught it because I didn't catch this. Okay. The first time around, no, not even the first time around, the second time around. I caught it now the third time around. Okay. Um, who was leaving, There's this question is twofold. Who was leaving the dead animals all over town? It had to be either Noah or the elders. Right, so, so, um... When Edward Walker revealed to Ivy that the whole thing was a hoax, she was crying and freaking out. And she said, like, oh, the animals or whatever. And he said, uh, we think it was one of the elders. We don't know who oh, yet. Oh, it's probably Noah then. It was Noah. Because if you go back and watch, if you go to Kitty's wedding scene, Noah's not there. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. See, because they said they think, I was like, if they don't know it's one of the elders, it's got to be the homie Noah. Right. I say the homie. In but, you don't, but you don't know that it's Noah right. yet. Like, you don't know that he is totally, like, lost his mind. Like, you you know that he stabbed Lucius, but, like, you're thinking, like, okay, the, the guy's not all there. He clearly they, has some sort of developmental delay. They certainly and... give you hints because he seems to like dangerous things. Like when they right. hear and the I noise in the now. woods, he he gets right. excited and giddy. He gets excited when, whenever when they violence talk about those is happening. Don't speak of when violence mm-hmm. is happening. He's always excited. He, he's always excited. He likes trickery. Yeah. It makes sense. It's him. the 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 breadcrumbs are definitely there to point towards Noah. Mm-hmm. He may not un- Which, understand what he's doing, but it, it's it's it is part of the breadcrumbs that lead to him. Yeah, like I. I don't know, like in like in a court trial, I think that he could actually get uh uh I think he could actually use the insanity defense. Oh, absolutely. Um 100%. Which for those of you who don't know it or have heard the insanity defense from from an avid true crime watcher and listener, um so the insanity defense is not like, "Oh, I was experiencing temporary insanity or like I'm not of sound mind." The insanity defense is when you literally do not know right from wrong Mm -hmm. and in that situation you are not able to determine right from wrong right you you can't even stand trial basically at that point right you you are there's no possible way to go any other way with that verdict right exactly so so in in this situation i feel like that's kind of where noah's character's mental state is Uh at is is like his his polarity of right and wrong is just completely switched. 
Like he he says, like they, they have to correct him all the time. Like even at the beginning, Ivy's like, no hitting, you're not supposed to hit. And right. like he repeats it back to her and she doesn't make him go in the quiet room. But it's like, you know that that's not the first time that she said that. Like the just the impulses in his brain are switched and he thinks that scary things and terrifying things are fun and mm-hmm. happy. And so he just ha- he has an attraction to the negative that is instilled into him because of whatever his developmental disability is. So... So yeah, and back to Adrian Brody doing a phenomenal job. Like some of the jaw tweaking and like the hand gestures that he would do with the spread fingers. I, he just, he did an excellent job. He did. Um. So, oh, that was the other, my other side of the question was I was going to say like, where is Noah during Kitty's wedding? Because like I said, I was looking for him the whole time. And then right after Kitty's wedding, they all come out and there's all of the dead animals just laying there. And he didn't even take one of the suits from the shed because the shed was locked up. He took his parents' suit from under their floorboards. Like, dude, really? Why are you hiding there? There's a whole sh- a whole shed for these people, these things. Right? Which also, that blew my mind now. I caught this the third time around. Noah and Ivy are not siblings. Yeah, no, they have different names. Different yeah, parents. I, I didn't, like, I didn't remember Noah's last name. What's Noah's last name? I don't remember. I don't know either. And I didn't realize it until this time around. Let me see if I can find his last name. Or if his name is just Noah. Noah Percy. That's right. There it is. Yeah. he's It's like a middle name, though. Like, he's got a middle name, last name. <laughs> he's got two first names. Boy's got two first names. <laughs> oh, Jinx, you owe me a butterbeer. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Because it's Halloween. I want to, um, before we go too far, because we probably got like seven-ish minutes left. I want to say Girl, we could do like a part two on this episode, on this We could, but I don't want to. We'll just do it again sometime. I, uh, things I did not like about this film. Like, honestly, one of the things that I really did not like about this film was the, uh, the massive amount of zoom-in shots, but specifically the first <laughs> zoom-in shot. I have, I have. We went the, from the, Hereditary the where I enjoyed the zoom in shots. And then we went to this mm-hmm. film where I'm like, is it every shot? <laughs> is it every? Hey, it is like M. Night Shyamalan's like signature move. Okay. okay? But like it was done to the point where it was excessive. The first shot did not look good in my humble opinion. Like what there, was the first shot? Remind it, me. It was the first. They're zooming into the casket. At the beginning of the film. Mm, that and I was like, shot? what? No, it was not. The aerial shot was second. Oh, that one was, was fine. The aerial shot was second. It was over the crowd, over the crowd. I hated that. The crowd. I hated that shot. And it was long. Interesting. It was way too long. Here's the thing. I think that shot would have been better had he just used different clips in, of like the, the people standing there. Just different still frames. Or even just a, a sweeping shot See? of everyone. But the zoom in was weird. It did not feel I effective think I know. at all. I think I know why he did that because he basically gives you like a frame up as if you're one of the people My eyes don't zoom in. As no, no, no but listen. Not <laughs> Hold a POV on. shot. As if you're you're one of the people standing in the crowd and it goes like just you know waiting as this guy has a, a quiet moment with his son's tiny casket and like trying to give him a moment of space but also like you're also just like right there so it comes at you from that kind of perspective as if you're one of the funeral attendees yeah but the, you could just you do a pov shot so he I didn't have to zoom that in. much he could have zoomed a little bit and i could have been okay with it but he just keeps zooming and going i'm like okay I, stop 
Stop. I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it. And I think it was done to like put you in the perspective of the the funeral attendees, but then to f- tighten your focus on this character as like, like to set you out in the focus. setting and then focus on a character. If this, I kind of liked it. I did not. The second shot was better. That zoom in aerial shot, I had no qualms with that. Oh, it was but so then he good. Uses, he just keeps just using the zoom the shots and I don't get it. <laughs> I'm like, dude. I don't get so all of much. them either. I don't get all of them either. Like the I, we talked about this in signs, but like some of like the long zooms when a character is talking. Like I get why he does them, but like it's like every time somebody's got something important to say when in signs. S- that is actually oddly enough, I I hate that in some film like Jurassic World, which also has Bryce Dallas Howard in it. Does this? Yeah. They frame up. Um. Chris Pratt so much when he has something important to say. I hate it. It's so noticeable. <laughs> We're going to talk about those eventually because I, I want to do. I think it's what I'm leaving for. Is like, it becomes too noticeable that I'm just immediately taken out of the film. I'm like, why are we still zooming mm-hmm. in, dog? When you start focusing on it. I did that because he, fo- he zooms in on empty rocking chairs. I have no issues with that. No issues. Those shots are actually really cool. I kind of like those empty rocking chair shots. They're creepy. It, it took me a it second. It also is like symbolic of the solidarity of this this village. They are alone. So I had to like I had to like think about what what that might mean and he does a shot of those rocking chairs whenever like someone has experienced like grief or sorrow or pain Mm -hmm. and I think those empty rocking chairs are supposed to um they're supposed to symbolize like loss and pain loss pain a loneliness Mm -hmm. you know yeah, and it, like just negative emotion in general because then also we get a shot later where Ivy is just like inconsolable in a rocking chair. And you know who's and I think also it really in a rocking chair? That's what it means. Noah. Noah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the rocking chairs are not non-important. The rocking chair shots, no. I actually really enjoyed most of those. I really liked the symbolism of those. Uh, those shots were but great. But they're all very zoomy. They weren't just still shots. They were all zoomy. Mm-hmm. They're all very, yes. Those shots were fine. Did not mind the zoom. Those shots those. are allowed. <laughs> those shots were allowed. And again, the first seven to ten minutes of this film, I thought were so many of them felt like just insert shots. And insert shots are just like, oh, glasses on a table or a cup on, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Insert shots. I felt like so much of the first ten minutes. The first ten minutes just felt like a, an abundance of insert shots. And I was like, let's get to the story, man. I'm uh, wanting you to tell me. <laughs> right. But again, yeah, like it kind of does stuff for theming, though. Like it kind of does, does. Stuff to really ground you into the setting of the movie and help you accept that that's their reality. And I can know? argue like, that. Just accept that that's the time period. And I told my brain, Shree, just, you know why he's doing this. You know, he's setting <laughs> the scene and the mood. your disbelief. <laughs> but he's setting the mood for a really long time. As a matter of fact, Ivy doesn't come <laughs> in for like, I don't even know how many minutes it takes for her to show up in this film. I did not count, but it took a minute. I mean, so something too is that, um, you can remember this is technically like a thriller movie, like right up until the end. Like this is a thriller movie, and it's kind of true. I would say like mystery. That. And so I think. So, I don't know. Like I would, I would ground it in thriller mystery because thriller. there's there's some definitely some terror element, like really well written thriller mystery for sure. Thriller, but a uh, mystery like mystery science theater. Mystery thriller <laughs> theater. Um, so I it, it's. I think a lot of that is done at the beginning, too, because you, like, a horror movie or, like, a thriller movie, you have to set that, like, ooky tone, mm-hmm. you know? 
And I, I think that's probably a lot of what that does, like all of the raggedy tree branches and the mist and stuff like that. Again, the, no issues with the those. music. The music which was I great. haven't even talked about. Oh, James Newton Howard and his pairing with that award-winning violinist for this soundtrack, because mm-hmm. he always does like this is not his tone for um for soundtracks, but he I think he won a, an award for this soundtrack. I have I'm no pretty idea. sure. Yeah, I think he did win, like, a Grammy for this soundtrack. I don't know. But anyway, um, last couple minutes, I wanted to talk about the creatures. What do you think? Because, okay, so there's this um, point when Edward Walker is talking about them, and he says, um, there were always stories of creatures in these woods. I read about them in the books that I taught from. So, like, he he based, like, he didn't just, like, come up with these creatures. They were based on, like, local urban legends. Mm-hmm. And we know that this takes place in Pennsylvania. Like I said, all M. Night Shyamalan movies are in Pennsylvania. Is that where the so Mothman is? What do you... <laughs> no, I don't think so. Um, what do you think the creatures are probably based off of? Dude, like, hold on. Look at a Mothman. Where's the Mothman? <laughs> West Virginia. I don't know. Um... Yeah. So not, not really Pennsylvania. Hmm. Which they don't have wings, so... I, uh, I don't know. It's gonna have to be, like, some version of, I don't want to say, like, skinwalkers, but... Mmm, that would have been a good one. Skinwalkers. But that's, that's the Southwest. That's out here. It is. It is out in the Southwest. Maybe... Which, by the way, I live in Utah, where, um, Skinwalker Ranch actually is. Don't just, go. just a couple hours away don't in go. Skinwalker, or Skinwalker, in Uinta Basin. <laughs> Um, I'm going to say, like, some mangled form of, like, Bigfoot mixed with, like, a werewolf. But there's, like, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, you got good instincts. You got good instincts for sure. So I did some research because I was like, what? Okay, so this takes place in Pennsylvania because my brain first kind of went to, like, Bigfoot. You know, you hear mm-hmm. you Bigfoot's hear somebody everywhere. talk about, like, oh, there's story. Bigfoot is everywhere. I remember like, if, actually if... around the time this movie came out, there were sightings of Bigfoot in Indiana. And I was like... <laughs> Like, I kid you not, my mom took me, my brother Aaron, and one of his best friends, and maybe maybe one of my friends, and we just went driving around looking for Bigfoot. <laughs> We're like, did you see that in the woods? No. Oh, man. Oh that was actually gosh. so fun. That was so fun. I need to That's ask Aaron hilarious. Like, I don't know. If I was ever to believe in a cryptid, which, like, I really don't, um, it would be the Loch Ness Monster or Nessie? Bigfoot. <laughs> Yeah, Nessie. I mean, I, like, I'm sure Nessie's dead by now, but, um, so I, I wanted to look up, like, what, uh, like, urban legends are native to the Pennsylvania area, because mm-hmm. that's where this takes place, and, uh, let me tell you, guess what creature is native to the Pennsylvania wilds as far as, like, cryptids and urban legends go? Was it Bigfoot and werewolves? A squonk! No! <laughs> I had to back away from the mic. Uh, woo, a squonk. Hmm. That has to be our mascot. That's one massive squonk they got in them woods. <laughs> no, so that's not what they based it off of. But when I was going through looking at like urban legends that are native to Pennsylvania, that's where the squonk, the squonk originated. Everyone, is the Pennsylvania wild. We've talked about the squonk before. Go look it up if you haven't seen what a squonk is. <laughs> it's beautiful beautiful creature oh my gosh 
Uh, okay. I had to tell you. I had to tell you because I died. I died Ooh, when I was That was funny. Today. Good man. You really had. Mm. You, you, I got mm, you. You built the tension. <laughs> so. <laughs> Whew, okay, grabbing my composure. Okay, so on a real note. <laughs> I did some research and my best guess is probably some sort of local werewolf legend. Okay. There's there's a few legends in the Pennsylvania wilds about like witches who would summon this like created Aren't kind the of Appalachians werewolf in Pennsylvania. You don't go out into the Appalachian Mountains. You don't go no, looking. No, that's New York, I think. I don't know. I don't know geography. Let me go. Continue um, talking. I'll look up the Appalachians. I always thought Pennsylvania was mostly flat. Uh, anyway, so, um, so anyway, there were, there are some urban legends about like in the late 1800s, early 1900s about like witches that would torment local farmers that they were ticked off at by summoning this werewolf like creature called a guy woggle, which despite sounding like something that would be in Fantastic Beasts and where to find them, um, apparently it ties into local folklore in Pennsylvania, but the one that I found the most compelling and the one that I feel like, because again, as a writer, like he had to be in, M. Night Shyamalan had to be influenced by something uh-huh. writing about these creatures and he's in Pennsylvania. So he probably heard some of these legends. So he's going to base it off of something that he heard growing up. Um, Appalachians do one... run through Pennsylvania. Actually, they go from Canada all oh, the way down do. to Alabama. Hot dog. Didn't know that. I learned something about geography today. I'm sorry to my junior high geography teacher. <laughs> Um, who taught me geography? Mr. Cosmac. I memorized all of the countries in Africa, but I didn't remember where the Appalachian Proud Mountains are. Proud of you. The mother nation. <laughs> or the mother continent. My stuff. <laughs> oh, my. How many percents? My one percent? My one percent well, mother nation? Almost one percent. The motherland? No, no, it's a full one. Remember, it was updated. Oh, yeah, from the motherland. 1% from the motherland. <laughs> anyway, back to werewolves. Um, so there is this old urban legend um, about a, a woman who actually did exist. Um, there, She has a gravestone in uh, this cemetery near the Pennsylvania wilds, which is like this big crazy area in Pennsylvania. Um and the the legend goes that like she was she was in love with a much older man, um, which her family didn't like, but um, yeah, um, he was they didn't like him because he was older and because there was a like a, a rumor going around that he was a werewolf, um, but they would meet up at night, obviously not during the full moon, and they would sit on a fallen log and talk for hours, watching the family's flock of sheep. And her family wasn't exactly thrilled with this, but because of the man's company, their sheep never got attacked by the local wolf pack, so they tolerated it. Okay, so that sets the stage. And then basically, um, the guy ends up getting shot by someone who thought he was shooting a giant wolf because the wolves were attacking all the sheep in the area. When the guy goes to investigate, he finds a man um, lying on his back, shot through the heart. I noticed that his teeth were long and yellow like a wolf's and that there were stiff hairs on the underside of his hands and on the soles of his feet. Okay. And that kind of reminded me of like the spines like sticking out of the back of the creature. Um, and then what kind of sold it for me, basically it's like, there, there's like been a legend that like there's werewolves running around Pennsylvania because they come periodically to check on this woman's grave. 
Um, Her name was, right. So she was a real person. She was born about 1811 and then I think died in 1905 and she was buried near Cook Forest. Um, And her name, which I don't know if you remember Ivy's full name, but she says it at the end of the movie. Her name is Ivy Elizabeth Walker. And this woman's name was Elizabeth Paul. Okay. So I'm like, okay, the Elizabeth tie-in. She didn't have to say her full name. I felt like that was a clue. Maybe. Right. And then the only other thing is like, like, remember those guy woggles that I told you, which I think kind of probably just tied in together. Like, oh, there are werewolves in the Pennsylvania wilds. Also, there's witches who summon these guy woggles who kind of look like the same thing. Um, It has, it's like a mishmash of a creature. It's tall it's about six feet tall shaped like a wolf and stands on its back legs instead of front paws it has bird claws and instead of back feet it has horse hooves and then it also (laughs) is supposed to have like long like tusk like fangs protruding from its face and like i said like witches would like summon these guy woggles to go and torment farmers and then also there was this real guy named isaac gaines who was basically like the original winchester would go and like hunt them down and burn witches houses down but he's ancillary (laughs) go look him up (laughs) um so that's what i found in my research and i'm like okay like between those two somebody named elizabeth story about a werewolf with like those spiny things and then these guy woggles that have like these giant bird claws and stand on their back feet because like if you remember the costume the feet are kind of like trunk like yeah um like stumpy kind of like like elephant legs yeah um yeah so like i feel like it's probably like a mismatch of those mishmash of those two kinds of legends so yeah probably some kind of pennsylvania werewolf legend thing from the appalachians yeah who knows in the appalachians and the pennsylvania wilds i don't know but now i want to read about like folklore of pennsylvania because it was very interesting and find out about the i feel like it would be endless like do you ever come across the appalachian tiktoks they're hilarious and terrifying no. I mean, I lived in the Pacific Northwest also, though, which was, like, which is a big Bigfoot hub, which, I'm sorry, I never saw. I never had a Bigfoot sighting out in Washington, unfortunately. So, the, I don't know. The Washington mountains are terrifying enough. I hope TikTok is not listening to me. I do not want to see any more of those Appalachian TikToks. <laughs> you're, They're terrifying. You're messing with your algorithm right, right now, man. Um, dogs and puppies, please. You're like, no, put me back on Book Talk and Black Talk. <laughs> I'm actually not on Book Talk a lot. I just, I'm on Puppy Talk, whatever that what? is puppy talk i want the i'm dogs. definitely on book talk it, book, book talk, talk comes up talk. when i'm like not looking for it it just is like you I'm a we nerd. think you it like comes books. Up all the time my my friends we think you like books things, and you're like so i would if i had time to read <laughs> yeah what is reading what is time what is free time what is <laughs> doesn't exist this is our free time <sighs> um okay any last things to talk about before we wrap Nah, I said everything. I there's so say. many things we didn't talk about. There I, are. There's so many things I didn't get to. Well, like if we do it like next year or something, I'll talk about all the things I didn't get to this time. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, that concludes today's episode. Um, we talked about a lot. We talked about M. Night Shyamalan and how like his shot framing techniques and his use of color theory. Um, we talked about the twist ending. Please let us know if you liked the twist ending or not. I do. Cherie's kind of meh. Oh, it. no, no, no. I still um, love the twist. I just don't love all okay. the story anymore. I still love the twist. The twist mm, still I don't love happy. all the story anymore. I just don't love all I the directional choices. I forever. Okay. 
Um, so next week, staying in spooky season, what do we decide on, Shuri? We decided on, but you know, drum roll. <laughs> that was really bad. Leave me alone. Uh, haunted wait, mansion. Wait, wait, I got it. Disney's oh, haunted mansion. Not the new one. The Eddie Murphy. Not the one. new one. The original Eddie Murphy one. Yeah. Here, here is your drum roll. Thank you. Aesthetically you pleasing. That was it. Haunted Mansion. Haunted Mansion. <laughs> <laughs> so make sure to be here next Friday to tune in. Roll credits. Cinematic Pulse is edited and produced by Cherie Jackson. The episodes and theme are written and performed by yours truly. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook. You can find Cinematic Pulse on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Please consider supporting us by becoming a member of our Patreon, where you can get access to show notes, vote on our upcoming episodes, and get exclusive downloads of our episode art. Thank you so much for listening, because we just checked your cinematic pulse. Thank you.